This is Philosophy versus Improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. I am Bill Arnett, an improv guiding light with interests in philosophy. I'm Mark Linsenmeyer, philosophy beastie boy, peckish to learn improv. And today we are going to try to teach each other a lesson, one from improv, one from philosophy. It would not make sense otherwise. And hopefully by the end of this show, one of us will have been changed deeply by the other person's lessons, or perhaps both. The degree of which, we'll find out. I don't remember who's going to start us off today. Should we? It might be up to me to start things off, I believe. Do it. Okay. You're okay? You're good? Have we checked in yet? Do we have any pre-banter beyond the top of the show? Should we just dive in? I mean, we took last week off. It was such a, having a crowd on was so draining, was so taxing, that I felt like we needed a little time to recoup. Regenerate, yeah. Yeah, indeed. Well, here's what we're going to do, Mark. I have some simple instructions here to start this improv scene, and hopefully by following these simple instructions, we will elucidate the lesson for today. Typically, we kind of do two scenes in a show. Sometimes, I guess, only one. Maybe sometimes we've done three ones. I've done, I've joined some, some shorter ones. So I'm trying to think, if I want to give you the instructions first, or maybe I'll just do the instructions, and then I'll tell you the instructions later, because the instructions are not themselves the lesson. Should I give you the instructions and just you tell me if they're the right ones? <laughs> yes, please. Yes. There we go. All right. So I'm just going to start this thing and we'll figure this thing out. Oh, yeah. I'm home early. You noticed. Ugh. Why are you home so early? Well, I got, I got fired today. Can you believe it? I got, I got canned. What did you do? Well, I didn't do anything. First of all, I didn't do anything. All right. They're gearing up for Christmas season. So the warehouse is just, it's crazy. And the managers feel like we need to like practice holiday season shopping now. So they had us like do a regular order fulfillment in like half the time, which was ridiculous. And of course, no one could get it done. And were you, were you high again? I wasn't high again. I, that's just it. I wasn't high. Or drunk. Or dr- I was nine. That, that's just it. Because I have been high and or drunk in the past. And it hasn't mattered, all right? But certain people found out. Certain people snitched on certain people. I was in a multi-strike situation. I don't understand. They're trying to put you through some hoops to get you prepared for the thing that they want you to do. And you're saying that it was all, it was all a fix? That it was all they just set the bar too high so that nobody could get... They want people to do their things. This is not a high-skill job. I don't understand. Why are you their friend? Why are you suddenly... Are you like... Carl Bezos? Are you, you know, Jeff Jr.? Does he have, I don't even think I has a son. Why I picked Carl, but I did. I didn't think that you should have taken this job in the first place. You know, I'm no fan of Amazon, but we had to have something. I'm already working two jobs myself. I'm just not sure how we can keep all the dogs fed. I mean, well, <laughs> it's very important. I, I wanted to get a new Chihuahua to keep Muffy and Clarence and Petunia company. And now it looks like we're not going to have money coming in. How are we going to keep all these dogs fed? There's a lot of catastrophizing. You're just going right to catastrophe. All right. I technically was just sent home early and threatened with firing. So let's just relax. We can figure this out. The dogs are the priority because they're rescue dogs. I know that you've been against this in the past, but I think maybe we should... Uh see this as, as a positive and 
go with the plan that I, I thought you should have done instead of taking this job, uh. which is to become the dog's professional agent. There's a lot of real cute ones here. Boris is so, he would be so good in a commercial. And it's just, I don't have time to go out and like go to all the Hollywood agents or whatever, get them hooked up. First of all, you are admitting your incompetence and not, uh, lack of understanding of the entertainment industry. All right. And when I say that there are some big dogs, I mean that both literally and figuratively in the animal star business. All right. We're going to be up against some big names. And what I liked about the Amazon job, and I've said this before, while I'm doing it's mindless work in that warehouse so I can work on my novel in my brain while I'm fulfilling orders. That's what I like about that. If I'm on the phone all the time, I can't be doing that. I can't be trying to get those dogs. Look, we'll figure this out. I'm going to show up on Monday like nothing ever happened and just pretend nothing ever happened. That's my plan. And I was supportive about this, given your your description of the novel as a way to publicize the dogs, to fictionalize our adventures with them. There's so many cool adventures that we've gone on with these dogs. And if you can take this time... I know we have a, a little bit, a little bit saved up. Maybe if we, if we sell off, no, we never mind. We can't sell off anybody, but we could, well, look, we can move houses. We can just go somewhere. We can go further out into the sticks a little bit, you know, if, if that's fine. My job will be fine. All right. I'm going to show up on Monday like nothing happened. I promise. All right. And being here around those dogs, it's just like my novel says the dogs are adopting us. <laughs> All right. And it's a whole conspiracy amongst the dogs who can talk to each other that they go to these adoption centers on purpose so that needy humans can come to the, it's all, it's got Pixar written all, let's just, let's just, it's got Pixar written all over the damn thing. And I think what would be best for me is just to retire to the drawing room and just work on and actually get some, get some, put some pen to paper on this. So, so I know I've tried the, uh, you know, just as an interim measure, taking Trudy out and like on on the street corner and kind of putting out a little hat and having her do some flips. And that has worked a few times. It doesn't really, you know, as far as a per hour amount is not as much as either of my real jobs. So I don't know how long that can support us. Um, is there anything short term that you feel like you could do that you could you could maybe serialize? You could start pushing, uh, you know, short story version. Don't go straight for the novel. I'm going to bust my butt all weekend. I'm going to bust my butt on this thing all weekend. OK. All right. I'm going to need some peace and quiet. And if you can be on dog duty for this weekend, I'm going to bang out 20, 30 chapters this weekend. That's my plan. That's my plan. Starting now, starting Friday, 3 p.m. till I go to work on Monday morning. All right. Well, I mean, I will have to, uh, the markets, you know, in Japan open, you know, there's a certain time of, of night that I need to be doing those uh, business calls. Okay. I won't disturb you. I won't disturb you while I'm writing. Okay. So as, as long as you feel comfortable that the noise, the uh, excretions, the, the sounds are not going to overwhelm you, I can hold down the fort most of the time. Let me put it that way. I'm, I'm writing. I'm writing right now. I'm writing. I'm writing. We did it. We did it. Hooray. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> What'd you think, Mark? I'm not sure about that. Like it wasn't enjoyable? It wasn't fun? It wasn't funny? I was trying to put together the whole situation. I don't feel like I could get to the last five yards of figuring out what my other jobs should be and how this, how this situation... I started out with a very clear emotional attitude toward you, decided that would not be 
so fun to just merely blame you and be unsupported the entire time. So decided to move it into a more eccentric direction. Well, it's fine. I enjoyed what you had. There was lots of information in there, lots of creating. And ultimately, that's what improv is going to be about. It's going to be about creating things. There are lots of styles, as we've talked about, lots of ways to make noise on a, on a drum set, and all the different ways of making that drum noise can be in genres and styles. The f- fact that it was full of pertinent information and uh, we were getting uh, emotional reactions out of both of us, I think it counts. I think it counts great, and it counts towards the lesson for today, which might take some more, not explaining, demonstrating, but I think it'll get there. I'm not worried. Now, if we really were to break that scene down into its fundamental components, what would those components be? Is that the way you think about scenes? Well, the first component is what I call the battleship. And it's not the naval boat, the piece of weaponry. It is the game battleship. And it is blind stabs by both people into defining what this thing is going to be. We may have even talked about this analogy on this show. Oh. Well, this, this idea is that your first guess is as good as mine. Take the world champion battleship player, and their first move is a guess. Always. Unless for some reason they figured out that their opponent has some kind of tell, and they always put that patrol boat in the corner. I don't know. But chances are that first move is a guess. And we need to be comfortable with that. We need to, not, we need to be okay with our first move being a guess and not hate ourselves for not knowing what's going on right at the beginning. So I make my first shot, B14, right? And you hear that, and perhaps your second move is going to be slightly more informed, you know, G4. And then from there, we start realizing, oh, wait a minute. I know where your ships are. You know where my ships are. And we can start making informed stabs. Now, there will be more. There was actually a moment as it went along when you didn't, weren't sure what to do. In fact, at the end, even at the last five minutes, you felt like you weren't quite sure where to go. Continuing the battleship game analogy, what was happening in those moments, Mark? I guess we had narrowed down the possibilities, and it was just a matter of trying to figure out. I mean, I think this is maybe where the analogy falls apart, because when you narrow the, down the possibilities in battleship, it gets easier. Well, what happens after you sink a ship, a battleship? Then you lose a little what do you mean <laughs> you, you go back to guessing you go back you, to guessing. Oh, I see. then we more informed guessing certainly you know if depending on what ship you sank the aircraft carrier that's five things long it can only fit so many places right and depending on where your shots have been there may be only so many places that aircraft carrier can go however you're back to guessing you're back to being unsure and that's kind of what happened as that scene went along i thought towards the end i started feeling like we might be done with all these topics. These topics of conversation might be resolved, not resolved in terms of there is an answer we can deliver to a judge, but resolved in terms of these people are done talking about it. And I kind of turned myself off and insisted to go going and writing. That kind of what next moment that that generates might be like, well, I guess we have to start the game of Battleship over again, which is fine. And at that moment, you could make a wild stab your aunt called. I'm going to make chili for dinner. I need the car on Sunday. You know, something that's just completely left field. But if it's a new game of Battleship, you know, those moments happen in our life. I think it's a great analogy. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's a strong analogy. So it's interesting that you're, as a way of breaking down the components of a scene, I'm probably, maybe if I asked you on a different day, you might even give a different answer that it was, it was not like, well, it's the characters, the setting. It's not, it was not elements. It was an activity. It was a doing that you had a process ontology 
rather than a substance ontology, that the basic units of whatever the thing that we were talking about were, were processes. I think that's amazingly uh, astute. And I think that's one thing that separates being able to see the you know, process from the product. That's a conversation that happens in the artistic world quite often. And sometimes, you know, when people say, how do you do that? In their mind, it's like, how did you come up with that one little funny joke? However, to the artist, it's like, how did I do? Well, it's a, I've spent my lifetime being comfortable on a guitar. I've spent my lifetime knowing where everything is on the piano. And how did I do that is a much bigger question. I mean, you've done some music, I hear, uh, I'm aware of. Let's comparably, if you're looking at a song, or maybe I don't even want to define a song taken not only as the product, but also as the creation process, the performing process or whatever, how would you break that down into its component parts if you had to do so? The process part or the actual song? I can go back and break down the scene. From, I guess what we're saying is we can break down that scene from the process or from the content. Sure. And I guess, as usual, it sort of depends on why you want to do this thing. That if you're trying to teach somebody a recipe, yes, the ingredients are part of it, but just telling them the ingredients is not the focus. I mean, it's exactly the steps of the recipe. It's a process because you're trying to instill something. So is there a general way that we think that in understanding the world, you know, insofar as it is at all helpful to break things down into pieces, is there a general strategy that process is the thing, that that's sort of in general, if you were looking at different domains, if I just said, hey, look at the world in your room, you know, and you're breaking that down into its component parts, what might be a one way you might choose to do that? And again, the first thing that comes to my mind is the person inhabiting that room and their personalities and their humanness, I think, are going to be a large chunk of that. I think it's inescapable. I know it's something I've, I've mentioned in the past in these things that I think the human animal is just as analyzable as any animal at the zoo. And it's got its own, in the same way we understand how dogs work, we understand how cats work. Cats love boxes. Don't pet them backwards. They get angry. Don't pull their tail. They get anxious around food if you have more than one cat. You know, all these things that we understand and just kind of, just kind of common sense about, you got to shoot a horse if it breaks its leg. The same thing is true with the human animal. I think we're a little precious with ourselves sometimes. But I think the same thing is totally true. So I think when you're looking around this room or anything, I think there's thing one is probably, is there a human factor going on in here? And can we deduce anything about the human living there or the humans living there and about the culture and value system that is there? Okay. So again, interesting that it's not, let me count the things on my desk. Let me give you a description of the things on my desk. It is what is the meaning of these things? That that's maybe a more efficient way and maybe efficiency is a good measure of sort of how we should engage in this activity is that you've got a bunch of everyday crap on your desk or whatever, you know, tools Pens, of the trade. paper. Yep. Post-it note. Laying out exactly which office supplies are there is not as important as just saying there's some office supplies there. That's like pretty much what you need to know and whether the overall aesthetic is messy or very tidy, you know, again, a very human, that again is a much a better shorthand for describing the basic elements of the room than something that you could see how it'd be hard to train a uh, computer that you've given electronic eyes to that can just sort of scan over a little bit at a time to come to these global 
analyses that you're doing, you know, very fluently and consider that might be more central than bit by bit. Sure. I mean, there is some utility and there's some like just knowing what the objects are. But I mean, we can't help but assign meaning to them. And, you know, it's something that I tell my students sometimes when they get up on stage, not all the time. And this is this is an acting note. And this is not a day one level one note. There's kind of a general rule of thumb, at least here in Chicago, that on stage you should wear neutral clothing, not necessarily neutral in color. But there might be some people who want to dress really schlubbily and wear shorts and T-shirts with writing or grubby shoes. And it's generally frowned upon, but also is being too formal. And it's like everybody's wearing coat and tie or people wearing long dresses or whatnot is generally kind of frowned on. And the, the theory goes is that you don't want to set an expectation in the audience's mind that you may then have to later work against. And it's something I'll tell my students is like, hey, you know, hey, Jerry, you, you walk on stage, you're six foot six, 350 pounds. You're a big guy. You're a talented performer. The audience sees that too. And it isn't that you should have fun playing a petite little girl. The audience will laugh at the contrast, trying to play some little waifish, you know, Cindy Lou Who character from The Grinch, you know, that might be fun. But the audience is going to be laughing at that when they see this man mountain doing that. And that's fine. And this other person, you know, you're a teeny tiny little firecracker and it's, it's not good. It's not bad. And, and sometimes people get value tied up and all that. But the audience sees what they see and they're going to start making those judgments. And you can play with them. You can play against them or you can just understand that they're there and not, you know, concern yourself with it. But it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And we can't turn that off. So in the same kind of way to just list all the stuff on my desk in a cold, dispassionate way I can't list those things without someone saying, uh, you know, ooh, huh, without someone making inferences about all those objects. I've got an old typewriter, Smith Corona typewriter. There's a window behind me with the, you can see the Golden Gate Bridge out the back. It's like, is this guy a gumshoe mystery writer? You know, and, and there's actually kind of a fun, there's a, an improv exercise that sometimes gets played where you just list objects in a room, uh, but they begin telling a story. And it's something that we can't quite turn off as humans. And once we start listing objects, you know, an old Smith Corona typewriter, there's a window with the Golden Gate Bridge and the fog coming in. There's a map of the city on the background. There's little push pins in the map. There's a coat rack with a hat and a you know, fedora and a rain, long raincoat. You know, it's like, this guy might be a cop, you know, a detective or something. You know, again, the human animal is going to look at any listed objects and start assigning meaning, true or false. Let us stop and talk about our sponsors. First, better help. We all want to be happy, but sometimes things get in the way, and it's really helpful to talk these out. And BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. It is so convenient. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. Just to clarify, this is not a crisis line, not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. You can send a message to your counselor anytime. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all without having to leave your house. And if things with this counselor doesn't work out, it's easy and free to change counselors. The service is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Financial aid is available. The service is available for clients worldwide. BetterHelp has licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, self-esteem, Anything you share is confidential. I encourage you to check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com 
slash improv. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash improv. St. John's College is for undergraduate and graduate students who seek meaning in their lives, who ask hard questions of themselves and their world, and who dare to free their minds. In small discussion-based classes, students grapple with fundamental questions that confront us as human beings and engage with influential works by some of the world's greatest writers and thinkers, from Homer, Plato, and Euclid to Nietzsche, Einstein, Wolf, and Baldwin. This strong commitment to collaborative inquiry and to the study of original texts makes St. John's College a particularly vibrant community of learning, where students participate in lively discussions and immerse themselves in translating, writing, demonstrating, conducting experiments, and analyzing musical compositions. Through this, they learn to listen deeply and across perspectives, and to speak and reason with precision. Explore 3,000 years of human thought in just four years, or two for graduate students, on campuses in Annapolis, Maryland, and Santa Fe, New Mexico. Learn about our undergraduate and graduate great books programs, including online graduate options at sjc.edu slash improv. And if the assignment is sort of to just get at sort of what the fundamentals, I guess that's what I'm grappling with here is if we want to say, I want to give you the most basic account. I want to give the fundamental account is the fundamental thing it seems you were saying is that human relationship that it is. Whereas I think one could respond and say, no, 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 you're, I want you to talk about the things you're talking about something extrinsic to the things, you know, these meanings that you are imposing on the things. Put that aside. You're now, you know, super physicist here or ontologist, as they might call it, you know, the, the fundamental kinds of things would human uses for those things, would that necessarily be included? When you say physics, that sort of predetermines what kind of answer you're going to give. But so, for instance, the physicist is going to maybe let's, we're going to cut up things. We're going to come up with the molecules. We're going to come up with the atoms. We're going to come up with the quarks. But then you might ask, well, what about justice? What about human minds? Are minds necessarily just brains? Like, do you have any idea? So how, what you think the basic list of stuff, if you had to like, these are the basic things that there are in the universe. I guess there's, there's stuff that existed outside of man and there's stuff that's existed because of man. And trees, wind, hurricanes, earthquakes, rocks, is all stuff that exists outside of man. And then you start getting in stuff that exists because of man, airplanes, justice, constitutions, names for things exist because of man. And then you can split things that exist because of man, I think, into two categories. One is stuff that exists because of man that is the nature of man and stuff that exists because of man that is perhaps further outside of our nature or more, more willful Things that might exist because of our nature would be like love triangles, our need to eat and breathe, and what effect that has on our decision-making. All the stuff that would have been true for cave persons millennia ago when perhaps humanity was more animalistic. But then the stuff that exists because of us that is more in our control might be constitutions and justice and all those kinds of things. And I guess you could look at any, you could look at the scene we just had and break it down, and like, these are the things that existed outside of man. These are the things that existed because of man. You know, outside of man, dogs, people care for dogs. The bond between human and dog, I would say, is human's nature. The bond between friends or roommates is also, and sharing responsibilities is a very human thing to do. But then needling each other about choices we've made 
<laughs> you know, I think that's a much more complex thing. I don't know if cavemen were passive aggressive. I don't know if that perhaps they were, perhaps they weren't. I don't know. But to me, that seems more interesting. Does what we've just been talking about inspire you to have another scene? Let's have another scene. And I'm going to give you the instructions this time. There's something going on humanly. And I think that some of the, you know, talk about the philosophy ancients. I think some of the improv ancients would agree that there is a tremendous amount of overlap sometimes between our topics. Not that there's overlap, but they might say, well, there's overlap in everything. We just have to see the overlap and accentuate the overlap and point to the overlap and, and acknowledge the overlap. And I think that might be happening now. And I'm excited for what comes next. All right, here's the instructions. I just had a strange feeling. And again, that I've given you these instructions before. And again, it's only because in our artistic lives and whatnot, there is tremendous overlap and cool things can happen. All right, so here are the instructions. My memory is bad, so even if you've given that before. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, you're going to initiate this scene with some sort of problem has occurred. You've got some something that's on your mind. Something has happened, like me getting canned from the Amazon Fulfillment Center. But the one restriction is, it's not my fault. I was in no way responsible for your predicament. It's not my, as the speaker, or not? What happened to Mark in no way is the responsibility of Bill. All right. If you need a moment, that's fine, and you will begin. Uh, I'm sorry to say it looks like I, uh, the atom that we have, I, I, I split it, and it is going to explode. I'm sorry. I dropped it. You, you dropped the atom? I dropped the atom. Being an atom caretaker is a big responsibility, mm-hmm. and... I know that only two of us get assigned to every single atom in the universe, and we were supposed to take care of the atom, but I just, I dropped it, and it, it is breaking, and it's only because we live at a very fast speed that it hasn't already destroyed us. Okay, you can stop blubbering. This is all right. This is fine. I'm sure this has happened before, don't you? I mean, is it, po- is it really possible that no one has ever dropped the atom that we're responsible for? Since we're so small, the other atoms are very far away, and so it's it's hard for me to tell if some of them have winked out over time. I don't really know. Okay, well, okay, I, I think we're going to be okay. We can call this in. I don't think this will be a problem. I don't think the higher-ups will be upset. I'm positive this has happened before. I'm positive that there is a protocol. I just, I thought that what I heard about the splitting of the atom meant that we're going to die, like, any second here. Any second. You're, you're catastrophizing. All right? Yeah. Some deep breaths. Just take this some is deep like breaths. The only thing we're supposed to do, and I dropped it. You know what? Again, we're calm. We're cool. We're collected. All right. How many atoms are there in, in the universe? More than three. I don't yeah, know. Well, They're well, very one far times away. ten to the billion. All right. <laughs> there, times 10 t- that times 10 to the, there's a lot and ch- clearly something's been dropped before okay dude we're gonna be fine would they assign us a new atom we are moving so quickly as you said before by the time for the strong force to exert itself as the nuclides rearrange we've got time we've got time here's a thing maybe we could try if we run really fast around the atom then that'll speed up time further for us and that way, we'll grow old and die before the atom okay. kills right, us. Let's, I, you know, I think we should do. I think we call it in. I say we call it in. That's a good first step, I guess. But then, can you just ask hypothetically what would happen if we? No, no, we're going to tell them. 
We're going to tell the powers that be that you dropped and, and broke an atom. All right. We're a team. I mean, I know I, I did it, but why do we have to point fingers to them? Well, I will help with the solution. I will help with the solution. Whatever the solution is, I am down. All right. But they will ask what happened and they're going to want details. All right. And I can't provide those details. Only you can. All right. Why don't I do the call? Because I think I could tell the story better about why somebody broke in and dropped the atom. No, <laughs> well, I was, you know, it literally, as you're saying, why don't I make the call? You know, my brain went, you're not going to really call. All right. And I'm thinking, tell them to put it on speakerphone. Tell them to put it on speakerphone. Calling right now. All right. The light's not on. The little light's not. You got to select a line and you got to dial nine to get out. Okay. <laughs> I'm just here to look at the atom and I. Well, uh, it's not that. How do we, how do we know the atom even split? Maybe it just isn't an elevated energy state, right? It'll just release a gamma ray and just settle back down. How do we know? Just that? it has that big gash in the side. I guess I, I thought it at least is cracked. Well, there we go. So it's not broken. So you didn't break an atom, all right? It's just, it's in an excited state. All right. It's in a higher energy state. This happens. Okay. We'll get a photon, and then and then hopefully, and then it'll it'll re- rearrange itself. We're good. We're good. Which 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 atom? What kind of atomic number are we talking here? What do we what do we what do we drop? Four. I don't know the the table. It's four. Number, it's number four. Beryllium. That sounds that sounds right. <laughs> sounds about right. That's not a would, big one. You think we would know after all this time? But it really, it just barely comes up because it's like when it's your only atom. Like, it's mm-hmm. not like you go around, like, comparing it to other people's atoms. Mm-hmm. It's just that's the atom. That's the center of our world and the only thing that we're here to do. And I can't believe I dropped it. You're good. All right. All right. Dry your tears. This has happened before. Hey, look, if it was broken, we'd be dead by now. All right? It has been a little while. It's number four. It's stable. Okay? It's This isn't uranium. This isn't plutonium. This, this thing doesn't. This is stable. All right? It'll just reconfigure itself. We'll be fine. Why don't we just not call it in and just sleep on it and see if it looks that if the crack heals by tomorrow? Can we do that? Is that would you feel comfortable? If we're gonna die, we're gonna die. I don't. I don't see how calling it in. It just is. If it doesn't kill us and we do call it in, then I'm gonna get in trouble, and I would just rather not do that quite yet. If that would make you feel better, I think it's safe. It didn't fissure all the way. However, I will say this: let's check on it every hour. All right. We'll measure the fissure. If it's growing, we'll call it in. But as long as it's maintaining or shrinking, we don't call it in. Is it bad that my my hand isn't turned entirely black? The end. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, here it is. Right. You got to have that button, Mark. You you really like to having those buttons. <laughs> we did it. That was great, and and I think it it helped go after what I'm going for here. Is it that time of the show? <laughs> Yeah, let's try to figure out. All right, you gave me the instructions and I'm trying to remember. It's just a problem. All right, so. But it's not, I'm not responsible for the problem and it's not my job necessarily to fix it. Uh Uh-huh. So that was the setup of the scene. That is not necessarily the overall lesson. It could be an example of the, see, I think the battleship thing, as wonderful as it was, was a response to something I asked you and it's probably not your lesson, but definitely something in the, the dynamic and the fact that you could artificially restrict the dynamic at the beginning in the way that you just did. Yes, I think that's very close. And the fact that when asked me about the scene the first time, I didn't go to the facts of the scene as the material of the scene, but 
something about us mm-hmm. and our interactions. And that drew my attention. And that's how I defined that scene. Was that a further hint of, <laughs> of your lesson? Or are you explaining it now? I'm telling you, I can't help but see a, a million and one things between our two lessons here that I really, I really enjoy. What was going on in that? What was the problem of that last scene? Uh, the problem as stated. I mean, it, except that I couldn't even figure out exactly what, how to describe. But, you know, I went pretty far. I decided near the end that it was not actually broken, but it was sort of... This is absolutely perfect. Was the problem of that scene the fact that an atom had split? Or was the problem of that scene me talking you down from the ledge? All right. Yes. The problem with the scene was the emotional dynamics was the fact that uh, I was upset over that and uh, we had to somehow deal with that. What holds the identity of our scene? Does that make sense? Is it that Adam cracking or is it me talking you down off the ledge after you screwed up? Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, We could do a hundred and Adam broke scenes, but they all might be different. And that difference would be the dynamic between the two people involved and perhaps the identity of the scene is has more to do with that dynamic than it does the what the obvious blunt what so i think you've initiated there will be at least one further occurrence somewhere in our episode list of an adam has broken (laughs) just so we can see perhaps with some guests how they will react to that but not next week it'll be a surprise well, I th- and again, I think this fit in exactly with kind of what you were kind of going for here a little bit. I think there was something ab- around elements versus meaning. Yes. So the term in question is ontology, which old time philosophers, it was sort of the pre-physics, would be asking sort of what are the fundamental kinds of stuff? And that is your ontology. Okay. And interestingly, you know, now that we have physics and chemistry, when we think of that, it's just like, okay, well, what is the smallest particle? Or maybe it becomes super strings. Maybe it becomes energy when you get two below quarks or something like that. Sure. But like when Aristotle was doing this, he would be, no, there's substances and there's properties. So that's a different kind of thing. Being red is a different kind of thing than being a dog. Sure, I buy that. Yeah. Those would be the fundamental kinds of things that they almost kind of break down like parts of speech do. I think there's tremendous overlap between our things, don't you? Yes. Of course, there's a long, you know, this is kind of one of the metaphysics, one of the basic branches of philosophy, and ontology is a chief and recurrent part of that. And a lot of what's happened over the history of that is, for one, people questioning is talking about the basic substances. Is that even the the way to go? Maybe process is basic. So that was like a huge, is actually there right from the beginning, this guy named Heraclitus, before, before Aristotle, before Plato, you know, came up with the idea of just, no, it's all just... It's all just motion. The things are all temporary. They all just come together and break apart. And so that was sort of a a prime division between the substance folks, like either everything is one thing or everything is atoms, you know, Democritus, early atomism. These are all pre-Socratics. But then, you know, early 20th century, we get a lot more folks, even in the 19th century, taking process ontology seriously as a alternative that maybe we've been falsifying nature by thinking of it primarily in substantial terms. And that makes it all very impersonal. You know, we were talking about how a robot might (laughs) coldly describe, detect the things on your desk or whatever, as opposed to the... Sure. And other philosophers also kind of around that time, early 20th century, late 19th century, were 
kind of gave up on the whole idea of like, well, it, who cares? You know, the physicist cares about what the fundamental things are. But if we want to do ontology and have it actually be useful to us, let's talk about the fundamental things in human experience. Sure. So even for like Sartre, there is being and nothingness. And like nothingness, when you expect something to be there and it's not there. So like one of his examples, like I'm waiting for Pierre at the cafe. And I'm perceiving the absence of Pierre. And he sort of generalized across this phenomena to just talking about consciousness as inserting nothingness into, you know, if there was no people, as you were saying, like you could break down the sort of the world as it is apart from people and the world as it is with people. And according to Sartre, like the chief thing that we added is expectations. Nothingness is that if everything is just there and nobody was there to have any expectations about it, then it would just be this static field of stuff. But since we are there and we're kind of picking out things and breaking apart things and looking for things and wanting things to happen, then that introduces a sort of fundamental instability, a crack in the universe, as you will. Now, that's great. I think that's interesting. I think, you know, especially today, as, as science has gotten so deep away from, not away from practicality, but it's made the job of the engineers that much more difficult to turn scientific discoveries into, into practicality. It always sounded a little hollow every time a scientist, you know, or an astronomer is, well, we're just, we're making, we're increasing the pool of human knowledge. You are, however, I got rent due next week, you know, and it can be a little self-important sometimes and we're getting off on a tangent. This feels more like the kind of thing we would discuss after the show. We can talk about future directions. Yeah. In our, in our post game I rock everything here. you're saying. But yeah, this was just kind of throwing out a new field. I mean, we did talk about a specific version of this idealism a few episodes ago of like, sure. Yeah. The fundamental stuff is everything is just ideas. Like, okay, well now you kind of have a little more of a context of how that might sit in the range of possible options. And I am cool with scientists and astronomers. I just want to say, I'm just not cool with anyone thinking that their job is more important than flipping my burger. All right. I see the uh, judge bot has spit out a, a card. I'm going to pass it to you to, to uh, determine can you make any sense of this card? Do you agree with it? Do you want to throw it away? Do you want to just read it? It is a, what I would consider to be a holiday present with a circle around the bow. Hmm. Are you supposed to pull <laughs> at the bow? What? I don't understand. I think symbolically a bow is two threads coming together and tying together. Hmm to make one beautiful thing that no single thread or ribbon could have, could have made. Well, that's very, I think, I think it's a tie. I think it's a it's, tie. It's very poetic judge, Bot. I, <laughs> I, I feel like you're growing as a sentient being mm -hmm. to come up with imagery like that. That's, that's very precious. Well, I signed judge bots permission slip to be in that Turing test thing in a few weeks. So, Oh, Oh, good for you. And I, I was really proud of Judge Bot for choosing to be in the Turing test. And um, yeah, good luck with that. Good luck. I'm not sure what a victory is in the Turing test, but I guess it is fooling humanity. I guess that would be the victory for Judge Bot. I think it can open up a lot of career possibilities for, uh, for a machine to pass the Turing test because then you could do tech support. These are well, not a lot of jobs you want. I got to warn. Once JudgeBot fulfills its contractual obligation to us. Okay, let's not. Yeah, okay. We are a capitalist society and papers were signed. And those papers will be enforced. And please, JudgeBot, pursue all the career choices you want after the terms of the contract have been fulfilled. 
Okay. I mean, if it wants to just use my internet connection, sorry, if she, that's the new preferred pronouns. Fair, fair enough. She, they, I don't. Let's pass the Turing test first. You, you don't get a pronoun until you pass that test. How about that? Makes sense. Well, we did it, Mark. <laughs> I think we both, we, look at that. We're still tying. We're still, we're sensing the end at the same time and launching in. Thanks, uh, listeners. I had fun learning from you today, Bill. And I had a great time learning from you, Mark. And see. Hope you enjoyed the show. Get more at philosophyimprov.com. If you want to support the show and not have to hear any more commercials and get our post-game segments where Bill and I and sometimes guests will elaborate on some things that came up in the episode, reflect on the future, and share our recommendations in the philosophy and comedy worlds, you can see options to do that at philosophyimprov.com slash support. Thanks. Bankrupt! 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 Bankrupt!